0: Hello, I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and you're welcome to The Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. On this week's show, farm business specialist Tom Kern explains the common mistakes and key traits to make a successful farm partnership and I first asked Tom about the various farm structures operating in Ireland.
1: Collaborative farming structures are basically farmers' arrangements that farmers work together in. So included in that would be your farm partnership model, which is around 2002, where farmers share profits from the one business. Uh, Cow leasing, where a farmer would surplus cows or leases them out to somebody who maybe can't get finance to buy cows. Um, You have share farming, which is slightly different to the partnership where, uh, again, two people enter into the arrangement together and they calculate their separate profits from it. Um, And contract rearing, I suppose, essentially is an arrangement where uh, the dairy farmer looks to uh, another farmer to rear his replacement heifers for him.
0: And, And you mentioned that, you know different structures have been in action in Ireland since 2002. What would you see as the most common business structures you encounter?
1: The partnerships are the most common. There's about two and a, two and a half thousand on the department register. But there's also a lot of unregistered um, partnerships out there, um, including between family and, and other, other farmers as well.
0: And you mentioned contract rearing and cow leasing, and they're relatively new concepts to the dairy industry how did these arrangements come about in Ireland?
1: Um... The cow leasing, uh, it, I suppose we're adapting maybe structures that exist elsewhere. So um, certainly contract rearing would have been done around Europe and in New Zealand. Um, so, you know, the, the, maybe around uh, the mid-2000s, the uh, template agreements were generated by by Chagas and, and uh, booklets and farm walks to promote the concept. And, and the, the uptake was quite slow uh, initially. Um, but I think where we are now in the dairy industry with... Uh, the, the labour demands on, on dairy farmers, uh, the cost of leasing extra land and that contract rearing is, is taking hold. And on the other side, for the rearers, um, there's a growing acceptance that, that this is a little bit more profitable than, than other enterprises. So we have farmers maybe engaging in it or looking to get into it.
0: And we, if we take a closer look at contract rearing, um, in your mind, give us an example of, you know, a case that you've worked with, how how it has worked.
1: Um, so, uh, I suppose a case that I've worked with, um, two farmers, uh, the arrangement has been going for the last seven or eight years. Um, the dairy farmer, um, why did he consider it? He considered it because it it allowed him uh, on a limited land base to increase his, his output of milk, his profitability. Uh, it reduced his labor demand. Um, so he's expanded his cow numbers and and held his efficiency um, But in that arrangement uh, that the rearer um, Was an ex-dairy farmer who uh, had been in, in um, beef and Wasn't happy with the performance of the beef and the heavy the, the the suitability of the animals for his um, land type and so on um, so he uh, they they got they they got talking on a show committee of all things um about maybe the possibility of rearing calves um and from that spawned the contract rearing arrangement so in that particular case the calves move to the uh, rearer um at 4 weeks of age um and the milk replacer is provided by the dairy farmer um and the, the rearer and his wife uh carry carry them right through to two years of age, um or the winter just before they calve down, um and they return back to the dairy farmer. Um uh, the dairy farmer does the AI um and the rearer does all the, all the other uh, aspects of it. Yeah.
0: And what sort of cost would you be talking about, say per day, would it cost for, for that so kind the cost, of interest?
1: Uh, the important thing about contract rearing is that um, there are different costs. So if you take the calf rearing stage up to 10 to 12 weeks of age, it's very labour intensive and there's a lot of veterinary and housing costs. So... Um, the the costing for that period is probably up on two euros a day to two fifty, um if you take then the first grazing season with calves uh, going to grass you're you're probably talking about maybe ninety cent or thereabouts, um and then you know as you go through the winters obviously there's the provision of silage and housing so the winters um, have a higher cost than the grazing seasons, um the the, the first winter when as weanling calves maybe um you know two fifty to three hundred kilos you're you're talking about uh, a cost maybe around one one fifty to one eighty a day, um, and then the second grazing season back down to maybe a euro two euro and ten. So, the the thing to be careful about quoting costs is the um, it depends on who's paying for what. So, in, in some situations, the dairy farmer pays for a lot of veterinary costs, plus the AI and vaccinations, those type of things, um, and in some cases, meals. So, all of that has to be factored in. But if you take it as a, as a rule of thumb, where maybe the dairy farmer is covering AI and and uh, vaccinations. Um the general cost that I would see going from a weaned calf to maybe the November before they, they calve down about one thirty 130 to one thirty-five a day is what is what the rearer needs to be getting to make uh a, a, a margin out of it. And I think the realisation is there with dairy farmers now that, you know, um if you want the heifers well reared um and you want the arrangement to be sustainable and long term, uh, you know, you need to be uh, paying somewhere in that order.
0: And if we consider, you know, it's contract rearing, so there's a contract essentially between a mm-hmm. dairy farmer and somebody who rears the stock for him. Mm-hmm. What's important to include in that contract?
1: Um, well, first of all, to identify the parties, um, to agree a rate per day and state it in it, um, to set up uh, the payment structure. Um, normally it's by direct debit directly into the rears um, account. So that's all catered for uh, the animals involved. And. Um, uh, what animals? So maybe the tag numbers of the animals will be identified in the in the contract, and how they deal with breeding, um, the provision of AI, um, whether they're going to be um, synchronised, uh, how stock bulls are, you know, if there's bulls in to cover up afterwards, uh, how that's dealt with. All all of that needs to be included in the contract.
0: And then to pick up, you mentioned cow leasing and, you know, often farmers are attending on expanding and they, they want these cows maybe in two, three years time. Uh, again, can you give us a case study of where you've seen this work in practice? So uh,
1: I suppose if you look at cows, um, the, the probably the biggest cost in a dairy farm is, is uh, rearing replacement heifers, uh, something a lot of dairy farmers underestimate. So if a farmer is expanding... And for one reason or another, um in, in, in previous years it would have been milk quota limited disability, but now with with quotas gone, uh, it's it's more than likely land or possibly labour. But if you generate these extra animals. You have a lot of money tied up in them and you have no return on them till they start start milking. So um, we see a lot of farmers maybe that are seeking opportunities maybe to to lease a a farm from a retiring dairy farmer or whatever. Um, But in order to build the stock up and have the stock ready for that, um, getting a financial return on those stock is is where leasing kicks in that um it's it's not comparable to a milking cow, but um certainly if you're receiving maybe uh ten to fifteen percent of the value of that cow in a lease fee um on year on year that that's giving you a financial return on those animals and you can call on those maybe when an opportunity has been identified or
0: suitable opportunity for a second unit or whatever and you mentioned maybe ten to fifteen percent of the value of the cow what dictates that?
1: it's it's the general figure that's out there i would say in some cases it's probably higher but uh, that that seems to be what people are paying um per year so maybe uh you know at 15 percent, it's roughly around 200 euros for for a cow worth 1500 or thereabouts so um that 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 type of figure is being paid and and more in some cases depending on the ebi the cow and the, the potential for milk solids and so on um but why, I suppose, on the other side of the coin, the main reason uh, people would lease in cows, generally it's maybe a young farmer who has a limited ability to get capital so they may be able to buy maybe 50 cows but have the farm to, to um, you know, to generate cash and to generate income in the business. Um, it's, it's financially feasible to lease in maybe whatever cows they need to stock the farm adequately. Um, and that's where we would see it maybe happening, yeah.
0: And in terms then, you know, if, Say say for argument's sake, I have 100 cows and I'm going to lease them to you. What other factors are there besides the value that you pay for the cow?
1: So there's there's two things. Uh, The first thing you have to decide, are you going to lease those cows on a short term basis for a year or two? um, Or are you going to lease them on a longer term basis for four or five years? Um, So... The first thing that strikes you there is if it's a year or two, you're you you're going to get your same cows back minus any replacement. So if you factor in maybe a 20 percent replacement rate, which would be fairly standard. Um, so you're going to the person leasing the cows from you is going to return your original group of cows. Maybe with uh, if it's for two years, um, there'll be 40 percent of those animals that will have been generated on, on the leased farm, if you like. Um and uh, the, obviously the other the other sixty cows will be the same or cows that you had originally. So the f- the issues you need to factor in there are the EBI the cows, or you know what is the EBI gain that you want to achieve? Um, do you want them in calf coming back, and when do you want them to calf? So um, all of those issues need to be written into the agreement. Um, that the you know along with the payment that the 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 cows involved. Uh, what are the criteria around any replacements that come in? Um, and uh, the calving and so on and and also maybe disease status in relation to vaccinations and things like that Um, obviously if it's a long-term arrangement for five years or more you're not going to get the same cows back but again you need to set out the criteria so if you if you lease out 100 cows and there's 20 first to fifth lactation in each in each category well you want to get 100 cows back but if it's five years time do you want maybe uh, the, the, the animals you get back should be 25 euros higher in EBI than the ones you lease, originally leased out? Um, and when do you want them to calve? You know, they, 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 you need to specify the criteria around calving as well.
0: And then if we turn our attention to, say, partnerships, and yeah. if we take a particular look at farm partnerships, what are the typical things you see within farm partnerships, say, today? So, uh,
1: um, as I said earlier, there's two and a half thousand or thereabouts on the department register. Um, there are um, there are a lot more, an unquantified number outside of that, maybe that aren't registered with the Department of Agriculture. Um, they the 90% of the partnerships are family um and uh, i suppose that's that's a positive in a sense that it's a, it's a really good business structure where there is a successor in place to to bring that successor formally into the farm business and that's that's really the route um that's been there and the incentives kind of structured around that to encourage um successors in at an earlier stage so what we'd like is you know maybe a, a student that has you know returned home after completing education or a number of years of experience or travel uh when they're at home that instead of just being a labor unit on the farm with no formal role that they're they're formally in the business in terms of the finance in terms of the herd uh, number um and so on and that, that that I suppose why are we promoting that because it allows that person to gain experience over over a longer period of time to to gain confidence in their ability to farm Um, but also allows maybe the parent the, the ability to step back gradually from the management of the farm. And really what you want to achieve in that partnership is a role reversal over its lifetime where the young farmer comes in, Um, and uh, swaps places with their parents over the period of time Um, and and that's it's proved very successful since 2002 that's that's what we've seen with partnerships in that regard that uh, it's um, and the commentary through research that we've done has shown that you know that that it has been a really good transitional structure um, between the two generations Um, I suppose 15 to 20 percent of the partnerships are between farmers so people that have amalgamated their business and and the um, while the business must be economical and viable, um, to provide two incomes from a household, uh, or to to two two household incomes. Um, the the key reason why farmers have done it, they've identified is lifestyle, to work life balance, to have more labour available to two farmers. Um, working together, it cuts out a lot of duplication. Uh, in terms of the routine tasks that are on dairy farms are are the same in every farm, um. But you 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 have a lot more labour efficiency. So a typical example in a dairy farm would be one farmer milks the cows in the morning, the other farmer feeds the calves or sets up the grass or or whatever needs to be done during the time of the year. So um, that that's where the benefit is. And for larger jobs, then there's two able labour units there. Um, so lifestyle, I suppose, is a key driver um, identified by by people in partnership. But another key feature that that I would have seen is that. Um, it's very difficult. The notion of of say matching farmers together to to engage in something like a partnership is difficult because the the relationship between them is the key success factor. And um, what I would have seen as a feature of successful partnerships is that, uh, by and large, the farmers already worked together or knew each other previously and there was a high level of trust maybe uh, there and from there they developed maybe a formal partnership um whereas uh, they, the the notion of putting two strangers together is a lengthy process in my view in that uh, by the time they get to know each other trust each other and realize that they want the same things that that can be quite a long process yeah
0: so you've, you've kind of led me on to my next question tom um i was just going to ask you about When you're starting or considering starting these partnerships, what are the key things you should look at to set yourself up?
1: So if if we take two farmers thinking of amalgamating, um, first of all, they need to get an appreciation of where they're at, um, you know, in in terms of the system that they operate, um, how, how, um, you know, how... How is it possible to gel the two farms together? Every, everything, you know, there there are slight differences in farms. If so if, if people are on the same page, then then we'll say the business model can 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 work. Um so that, that would be the first thing. Um just really it's a personal thing, their ability to work together. Um, so uh, you know, how well do they work together? How well do they take um take criticism how well are they willing to hold up their hand and say when they're wrong Um, you know what sort of personality do they have and is it is that compatible with working with somebody so if you take partnership it, it's quite intense they don't have to be working in each other's pockets all day every day but it's quite an intense relationship at the same time Um, and I suppose when I mention the word relationship I don't mean that they have to be best friends, but they have to be able to work together in a business sense. Um, and, and that's a key thing with, with the partnership. Um, from there, if that works, then I think it's really a practical thing looking at maybe doing... Um, what resources are available, what land is available, what buildings are available, and in terms of bringing the two businesses together, how how do they do that? Um, so, you know, does do they need roadways? Do they need a better water structure? Do they need to increase cow accommodation or the milking parlour? All of these decisions, so the practical, physical plan of bringing the farms together, costings around that, and a business plan then to see, right, is this worth doing in the first place, or are we willing to put in extra capital to, to, to amalgamate the farms, and... You know, that's um, that's really where I would start, really, you know, in terms of the first of all, looking at the people involved and their relationship. And then secondly, the farm and how you'd amalgamate the two.
0: And then in terms of the family partnership, what in, sort of things should people consider in terms of having the conversation?
1: So I think um, uh, in, in terms of the family, the first point would be is uh, is there is is the is the successor clearly identified? So if you take a typical family, there could be three or four children in the family, is there a clear successor identified? And then the first question you'd ask, is that successor ready? Are they educated? Have they gained enough experience? Do they want to travel? All of these types of things. Are they at home working with the parents and making a significant contribution? And at that point, that's really when the partnership becomes relevant uh, because you want to encourage people to travel and gain experience outside of the home farm. So it's really after that period um, that, that they come in um, and um, from there, then, once they've made the decision to form the partnership, um, it's, it's really, it's, it's a process of starting to put it together. Um, there's, there is a clear process in terms of maybe discussing it with the accountant from a taxation point of view, discussing with the agricultural advisor. Um, and I suppose a critical point here is, is actually income. Um, can the firm sustain the living requirements of of the young person as well as the parents. Um, So that all depends on the circumstances. So, you know, if the parents still have dependents, um, you know, then they need to maybe take a bigger slice of the cake. And then what are the circumstances of the successor? Um, You know, are they, I suppose, young, free and single? Are they married? Have they commitments that require a greater level of income? And then you look at the farm business and say, right, can it sustain that? And if it can't, what do we need to do to, to provide uh, the incomes involved? So that's that's a critical issue. I suppose the key thing about it then would be that the the assets can remain in the ownership of the parents. Um, they don't have to transfer anything um, and that provides security to them, especially where they have other dependents. But it's also a structure then that can provide encouragement to the successor to get involved in a formal way. Um, and again, it's an adjustment process. It's, it's sort of moving the parents from... Um, it's moving the parents from being, you know, or the relationship from being a parent son or daughter relationship to being, uh, equal partners and involved in decision making. Uh, in terms of putting it together, it's 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 a, it's a talk. It's talking with the agricultural advisor, talking with the the accountant, and um getting the necessary documentation from either the department website or the Chagas website and starting the process of putting that together.
0: And with all these arrangements, Tom, like, we must acknowledge that sometimes it doesn't always work out mm. and, um, you know, mistakes are made. Uh, can you point out some mistakes um, that we can take learnings from for people who are thinking about engaging in any of these type of arrangements? I
1: suppose the ones that I, I'd be aware of that, that have broken down. Um, first of all, people often jump jump to the, uh, I suppose, the conclusion that it's that the farmers fall out. And that's not necessarily all the always the case. Um It's important to realize that these arrangements will work for a period of time where they suit both parties and you have to recognize that there is a lifetime in them. So uh, I could give you three examples of partnerships I would be aware of that lasted very well for over 10 years, uh, worked exceptionally well Um, in all three cases the partnerships ended but for three very different reasons and genuine reasons um, in one case um, there was a change in the uh, a significant change in the life of one of the partners that he, he just reappraised his whole uh, outlook in life and um, you know decided he didn't want to be in the partnership any longer and they ended the partnership and they ended it amicably and I, I'll come back to that how they ended it and that in a minute. Um, the other one was where uh, um, i suppose the key thing in terms of the arrangement would be communication um and i would say that uh, the goals of of the partnership weren't um the two partners left things drift on and they didn't communicate uh one person happy out with the situation the other person not so happy and um you know they didn't didn't communicate that well um and it it was left to fester a little bit and reached a boiling point um but luckily the, the the two farmers um you know uh wanted to end it amicably they didn't want uh, hassle but that's not always the case so what it comes back to to me is structure before you get into any of these arrangements you need to realize that it could end at any point so the exit strategy or how you get out of it is really important and in terms of something like a partnership which are long established the key thing in that is the agreement the techn- the the written legal agreement what does that say about your arrangement and there are two critical structures in that one is how do you treat the assets, the land and the buildings and things like that you own? They're licensed in or you give the partnership permission, so you don't transfer them. If the partnership ends, that, that's revoked and the assets return. The other one then, and the critical one, is capital investment. So you're sharing profits. That's at one level in a partnership. But the capital you have invested in the business is really important in terms of um, the stock and the machinery that you put in or any other capital that you put in um, in terms of facilities and so on that the, the business uses um, so that's that forms a key part of your exit strategy because when something like a partnership ends the assets return what you divvy out between the partners is the is the physical assets so potentially you could sell the cows and the machinery and whatever cash is available, pay any debts owed and the remaining money that's there can be Divided out, and it's divided out on the basis of what you first contributed or, or subsequently contributed. So that's, I suppose that that's in terms of capital within a partnership. To me, that's your exit strategy, um, and how you how you go about getting out of it. And it may not still be easy, but at least you have a process to follow to get out of the arrangement. Um, so the, the, I suppose the key thing for me is building that exit strategy in at the beginning before you get into the arrangement, and realising that it could end at any point point. Um, and secondly um, the, the, the relationship, working and nurturing on the relationship between you and your business partners, um, communicating with them, being honest and open and trustworthy with them, all of those um, key things, if they're not there the arrangement will never work out and, and certainly uh, would be harder to dissolve if there's animosity there and that generally comes from poor communication.
0: And I suppose finally, Tom, um you've mentioned communication um honesty, you know being trustworthy. Are there any other important traits that you think you know people must possess when they're involved in partnerships like this
1: yeah i I, I think they they need to um, be open be open to new ideas um being open to being maybe not always right um listening to other ideas and realizing that there's a benefit in discussing decisions to be made on the farm with other people and that ultimately you can end up with a better decision because you've trashed it around with somebody a bit more um that that's a, that's a key thing um the so the, the personality uh, it it I suppose I would often say to people it, it it's well worth maybe doing a personality profile before you enter into an arrangement like this to see where are the areas you need to improve on so that you can work with people and there are there are people that just are not cut out for working with another person. But I think with a good structure um, and with an open-minded attitude, I think a lot of people can actually collaborate effectively. And then it really depends on the type of arrangement. So a partnership is quite intense. Share farming is quite intense. Uh, Leasing is a bit more distant, but it's still a collaborative arrangement. You still have a relationship with a landowner to manage. And also with contract rearing and co-leasing, there needs to be communication and decision-making and the ability to work together albeit at a somewhat of a distance.
0: That's great. Thank you, Tom. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple and Google Podcasts. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey, and join me next time for Your Dairy Edge.